Hello, Pursuit of Purpose listeners. Here's a little clip of what's coming up on today's episode. If you try something, you can be successful at it. Uh, success without effort is, is not worth much, but success through effort is a, a lifelong, life-building, life-affirming kind of thing to be able to do. And effort is, is everything. Um, what, mm. what a student may see as their success is not what I see as their success. Their success was the effort to try to get there. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. On this episode, I sit down with one of my former high school teachers, Mr. McQueen. And now, as some of you listeners may know or have heard me talk about, I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer when I was in college. And this event is something that has really stuck with me and I think is still impacting me in ways that I'm slowly finding um, because my dad was an elementary PE teacher and he actually was a PE teacher for I think 35 years at the same school. Um, So he was at Banks Elementary and upon reflecting on his life and trying to figure out what I want to do in my own life, I've really developed a strong affinity and just an appreciation for teachers, um, because I think that teachers have one of the most impactful roles on the development of all of us, or I guess I should say they, they potentially have uh, the ability to be very impactful, at least the good ones. And I'm sure that all of you can think of a teacher from when you were in school that you really appreciate or was just really good and you have fond memories of. And if there's one thing that I hope you can take away from this interview that I've done with Mr. McQueen, it would just be to, I want to encourage you to send an email or text, or if you're feeling really bold, maybe write a letter or give them a call. Um, but just, I think that we think we have to have this big monologue or um, something really impactful to share with people. But I, one thing that I was reminded of or learned in this interview was just the, the joy and the satisfaction that both you and the person get from just reminiscing on stories that you remember. So jumping into this episode, uh, we had a number of guest questions that were submitted by some listeners, so I want to give a shout out to them, Jenna Sepich, Ed Zubek, and Teresa Stoklowski. Thank you guys for joining in the conversation on Instagram. Now a little bit of background on Mr. McQueen. He is a retired teacher from Valley Catholic High School. He taught there for 35 years, and in his words, he says that teaching history at Valley made up some of the best years of his life. While teaching, he taught the more traditional history courses that you guys are probably familiar with, such as world history, global studies, and U.S. history. However, one of the things that makes Mr. McQueen a really unique teacher were some of the classes that um, he made up. Um, And those classes include studying the Pacific Rim countries, uh, a Latin America class, Vietnam War class, a class on World War II, Um, And he even taught a class on the American Civil War. So without further ado, Mr. McQueen, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. And now that everyone has a general idea of who you are, I'm just going to jump straight into some questions that I have prepared for you. And the first is just, do you remember when you first 
deviated from like a prepared textbook or curriculum on a class? Well, it was really very early in my career uh, that, that I came to the conclusion that there was a lot more that could happen uh, than what was in just the textbook itself. Uh, probably my first thinking was uh, in the first couple of years when I started doing uh, simulations. I had one on uh, the Great Depression that I did almost my whole career. And uh, to a strange extent, uh, it was kind of grew more lively and more interesting, uh, more fulfilling, certainly for myself, but I hope also for the kids as as time went on. And that thinking then just led me to um, what would I be interested in sharing? And if I'm interested in sharing it, maybe students will be interested in uh, being involved. Um, mm. the, the other part of that process, and it was something that I kind of learned as I went along, is the more that I could let what we were doing be student-centered and student-directed, the more likely I was to get buy-in from the students themselves. And so what I looked like as a teacher when I started and what I was doing by the end of my career uh, was some pretty different stuff, very different-looking uh, classroom. Hmm. So that's a very, uh, having been in your class, I'm now reflecting back on a couple of those things that you mentioned, which I didn't know at the time. Um, when did you have, maybe this is jumping back to your, um, education, uh, when you were being taught, were there any teachers that you had that inspired you to, um, like, I don't, I guess I feel like the only thing I can relate to is, you know, I've had good coaches and bad coaches. Yes. I've had good teachers and bad teachers. And sometimes I feel like I've learned more from the quote unquote bad teachers or coaches <laughs> in what not to do. Yes. Um, but do you, um, this is actually a question from, uh, one of the listeners, Ed Zubek from Cleveland. He was the one that was curious, um, are there any teachers or professors that you had that had a big influence on you? Uh, yeah, th th there really were. Um, and it was teachers that the commonality was that they were very relaxed, very personable, um, really made an effort to connect uh, in kind of an informal way with, with students. Um, I mean, my, my first image, the one thing that the two in high school that I'm thinking of had in common is, of all things, they would just sit on a stool. And it was like a very dynamic discussion was the way the, the class was run. Uh, they also were both very good storytellers, which is something that I have enjoyed actually my whole life. I still... Uh, tell stories from time to time to uh, people I'm playing pinochle with, people at the swimming pool with. You know, it just pops up all the time. Stories mm. are good. One of the um, things that I remember from your class was the um, 
the stock market thing. Yeah. And I don't know if this was what you're talking about with civil or uh, the simulation of the Great Depression. Is that what you're talking about? That is what I'm talking about. So the, I'll tell you my what I remember of it was everyone knows the Great Depression, which now I'm mean, going to, this is embarrassing, 1930-something, right? Right, right. It took place in the 30s. In the 30s. In the, and yeah. I remember, what I remember is that we all were had the opportunity to trade yeah. um, stocks. And I don't, I think we, what we got, we started out with a certain amount of money and then the stock market was going up and down and up and down and, you know, continuing to go up. But on the day that the stock market crashed, which none of us knew was going to happen um, because this went on what for like four to five, six weeks or something like that. Uh, Actually, it was about four to five days that that part of it, but that lesson about it is it's what people remember. And that's, that's fine. That's good. Because I remember that um, for that period, and maybe it's we thought it was going to last for like four or five weeks, you didn't tell us, and then all of a sudden everything just tanked. But because you taught multiple sections of the class, everyone had to leave, and you let them in on the secret, hey, you were really devastated by this, but you have to make sure you tell all the other kids that are about to come into class to like hang in there, it picks back up, you know, just like everyone thought back back then. Right, yep. That's, that's and all in the it's end, great. everybody <laughs> lost everything. So all my Nike stock was worth nothing. I remember that. Pretty much. Yep. That was um, it. So uh, the other thing that I, the one of the reasons that I started this podcast is just because from my own life, I, um, I, I've gone through very, you know, and I'm only 28 now, um, but, and I say only, and it's almost scary to think that I'm getting into my thirties. Cause I even remember what a 21 year old was like when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, but I have gone through various stages of wanting to be someone or something or having a career in various, uh, things. Mm-hmm. And it was upon, I don't even know how many years ago it was. My, I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer when I was a junior in high, in college. Yeah, and, uh, it was upon reflecting on his life, he was a elementary PE teacher, um, that suddenly around that time, this was about eight years ago, I kind of began evaluating what I really wanted to do in my own life and what success was. Um, what do you, in your life, what is, what does success look like to you personally? And, and then also something that I'm interested in, do you remember, a stage where it was very different compared to what it was to how you would define it today? Um, well, let me first success for me, uh, was helping people. I mean, that was clearly what I valued very early on in life in all sorts of, of different ways. But in particular, uh, I, I developed a desire to, to help young people that uh, growing up, making the transition to adulthood uh, from being a child it is a very challenging kind of thing. And uh, so I really wanted to be a part of that. Um, I, I think that um, um, as, as 
what I had in mind in, in the beginning and, and how it developed over time uh, changed pretty tremendously uh, just what exactly that would would look like. The other part of your question was, Chris? The definition today versus maybe what it was yeah. originally, and maybe it hasn't changed that much for you. Well, I, I, I think it hasn't in far as how I measure it. I, I guess measuring it as I was a teacher uh, was the success or progress of, of my students. And success or progress was not necessarily a GPA, mm. but rather it was more um, recognize the importance of, of making an effort uh, to be willing to kind of examine things outside of your um, immediate existence. Um, I, I gave a commencement speech after uh, you were gone, and the reoccurring theme was uh, every day you can do the best you can. And I, and I think that that really had become um, my mantra, if you will. Every day you can do mm. And that's what we control. So that's what mm. I sought to do. When you said that you can't, it was not always measured like helping people right. and the progress that your students made. Right. What else? Do you have an example of something? I mean, obviously a GPA. Right. Um, is a very objective thing, right. you know, you, your students had a 2.0 and now they have a 3.6 and that's good. Right. What else besides that? Um, or do you have an example of something that you would look at besides a GPA? Well, uh, I mean, part of it is the, you can see the impact on, on, on people and how their focus change, how their energy changes, how their attitude changes. Uh, you often get kids that are very unhappy and people would come into my room and, you know, life would not be good. Uh, you know, my, many of my most rewarding times was seeing that over a period of time uh, change and uh, become more positive. Um, ironically, I, I often didn't realize the impact I was actually having and didn't realize objectives being met until years later when people would come back and, and talk to me and say, well, do you remember this? And, you know, this really helped me at the time. And, mm. you know, I, I remember you and what you did and, and it enabled me to, uh, I can remember one girl coming back and telling me uh, because of what I learned from you and in your classroom, uh, you know, I was willing to go out and, and become a firefighter. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, I, I thought, well, that's pretty incredible, but it, I guess the power of, uh, positive thinking. Right. Well, I will say that the thing that is that continuously, whenever I, there's a, and this is complete honesty, there's a handful of teachers, probably no more than five in my entire life that I can think of. Um, and you maybe top three, I don't want to over exaggerate and you know, inflate your ego, ego too much. Oh, that's okay. But, uh, I'll but what I, five. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but I honestly, I can't, in fact, I don't think that there is another teacher that like 
it was almost like the connections that you had uh, made you an even more powerful teacher in the sense of like being able to engage your students in ways that, um, and, you know, a, a history teacher that just graduated from, you know, some state university right. or co- somewhere, you know, and they just enter into high school, I feel like they just wouldn't have had the same asset pool to dig into that you had. Granted, you know, you had some years to build that up, but just for the people that were not been in your class, and I'm just going to name the ones that I can think of, you had connections to people that owned an actual Civil War era cannon (laughs) and muskets and all the uniforms and tents and other memorabilia from the Civil War. I remember you had a friend who was a professional Abraham Lincoln impersonator. (laughs) Yes, yes. And, oh, and then there's the one that collected World War II stuff. So you had Nazi, you know, access and ally uniforms and everything, guns. How in the world do you, where do those connections come from, or how did you... Um, was this something that you started like as a teenager or when did you like start crossing paths with these individuals? Well, mostly it was uh, probably partway through my teaching career and a friend of mine got involved in the Civil War hobby, reenacting. And I joined, in fact, it's why I joined the Confederates was that was what he was a part of. And <laughs> so that was what I did and it just didn't, get any deeper than that at that point um then over time through people that were doing this uh i made all kinds of connections which ultimately included not only the world war ii connections but uh, at one point there was a guy that did world war one reenacting and if you can remember our our library he completely filled up every table in the library uh, with stuff from World War One. Uh, it was just wow. an incredible um, amount of stuff, and, and some of the better classes were those. Uh, I ran into people that did um, uh, Roman legionnaire reenacting, and that was kind of fun to see. Uh, I was never able to get them into my classroom, uh, as well as uh, uh, cavalrymen from the the West, the 1870s, that people that do that. And I'm still in contact with those those folks. Hmm. So one thing, and the the these people would come and do this and donate their time, right. and obviously not charge you anything. Right. You're a high school teacher. Um, how, like, did you, this is maybe like, so one thing that I'm interested in is just the ability or the tactfulness in developing relationships in which um, you're able to get people to give significantly to your students. Right. Um, and I'm assuming that you got very good at identifying what it was that would be valuable for them in those exchanges. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? It it It, 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 it does makes sense um kind of to the side but not directly with what you're talking about uh it's amazing what people are willing to share uh when they're in a a certain activity to young people because there's a certain Mm. sense in which 
as folks get older, part of how they get, and I'm talking all folks, um, have a certain fulfillment by sharing life experiences with, with younger people. And the, the experiences can be like the Civil War reenacting, for example, but it can also be other kinds of re, uh, experiences. I, I, I don't know if you remember, um, but in a couple of my different classes, I had uh, students doing interviews. And I always found the doing of the interviews of like uh, people who lived through the Great Depression, for example, um, mm. those kinds of interviews how they could be uh, not only fulfilling for the student, but I understood, and, and this is no earth-shattering insight, but how it was so good for the people that are doing the sharing. That uh. people want to share and contribute, and their life experiences is one way that they can, they can do that. Yeah, and that's and just to rephrase that in the, you know, I, I think I may have made it sound a little bit too transactional, but just in life, yeah. realizing that when you give people the opportunity to participate yep. in this, in the way of giving their, their thoughts and opinions on what they've lived through or what they've learned right. is some of the most fulfilling opportunities that you can give someone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think... Um, I think this was in your class. This would have been what you're talking about is like when I would have called up my grandma or grandpa yep. and asked them to tell me about, you know, what happened or what life was like back in the thirties or forties yes. or something like that. Right? Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. Um, so another, uh, guest question from Teresa Stoklowski, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but she said, um, what attracted you to teach history in high school, um, and in particular to juniors and seniors? Yeah. Um, well, what attracted me to teach history was uh, the understanding that history was about people. And people's lives was just always something I, I found uh, fascinating. Um, the very first book I remember reading was a, a biography of, of Jackie Robinson, the baseball player. And I was just so fascinated by the story of his life that biography, biographies became a, a staple that I would just um, go to quite regularly. It just people I found fascinating. And it was part of why I like to share uh, details of people's lives and in the classroom was uh, just that that love of people, their stories, and uh, how it um, how it impacts things, or they were impacted by by events around them. So that, hmm. that was really kind of the you know the idea that it was people and not things. I think sometimes people get turned off in history because they they emphasize the, the things over the people. And in brief, I guess that's how I would, would summarize it. Do you have an example of either something like that you realized in teaching that you made a shift? Or was this another example of having a teacher or seeing someone teach that was putting too much emphasis on the things? Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, we have had... Um, 
teachers that made a history teachers that made too much of an emphasis on, for example, me memorizing um, unlimited seemingly numbers of dates. And that can be a, a, a real challenge um, for students to get involved. That it, it becomes um, less personal. Whereas if you're emphasizing looking at uh, people uh, and their stories, uh, we as human beings are interested in people and and how they, mm. they live out their their lives. Uh, I, I guess it's one of the reasons why soap operas were so very and probably still are very popular is their their tales of the complicated lives of, of people and human beings find that fascinating stuff hmm. do you miss teaching at valley catholic i do i do every, every day and and you still uh, go back and help with particular parts, correct? Yes, I, I do. Uh, I was back pretty recently just to kind of give uh, background information, answer questions about, about the Holocaust uh, and the Vietnam War. And I was doing that in uh, English class. They were reading a couple of graphic novels, and one was on the Vietnam War and one was on the Holocaust. And so I was just trying to provide some some background to the kids on, mm. on the topic. Um, I, I go there pretty much every year and, and do the same thing with the Civil War, only I try to dress up a student and, uh, you know, show them what they ate. And uh, actually, if I can, put them in a formation, get them outside, etc., uh, the fact that I went to uh, juniors and seniors by I was done by the time I was finishing my career, uh, just more had to happen with uh, almost happenstance. Uh, as the school got uh, larger, uh, I had to narrow the number of classes, different classes that I, I taught. And the more I worked with juniors and seniors, uh, the more I enjoyed the uh, the interplay, as it mm. were, um, it was it was often just I like to have discussions, and that's what we would what we would do. So Jenna uh, Jenna Sepich, now Jenna Schultz. Oh yeah, okay. Um, she has another. She has a question for you. Um, so. She's curious why um, teach high school for all those years because you were so brilliant on the topic. Did you ever want to or consider teaching at a higher level, like in college? I, I did think about it. Um, probably I didn't because I, I like the more regular contact with students. Um, mm. I, I appreciated that that level to to see them every because it takes time to develop a, a relationship and in, in a college setting, it's, it's, it's harder to do that. You have larger classes, you have students for shorter periods of time and you can develop some relationships, but it's nothing like the experience of being in a small school, uh, knowing all the students. Um, there was, Quite a while there that uh, every student that graduated from Valley Catholic I had in class 
everyone, knew them all. Mm. And that was a, That's awesome. was a great feeling. It was a great feeling. And um, do you, in this, uh, I'm sure this maybe changed as you went on, but what non-academic lessons or non-history lessons do you feel like you intentionally tried to teach or um, maybe you realized you were teaching without intending to, to do that? If you try something, you can be successful at it. That effort is really everything. Uh, success without effort is, is not worth much, but success through effort is a, a lifelong, life-building, life-affirming kind of thing to be able to do. And so I, I hope that more often than not, I was able to uh, you know, put that idea that effort is, is everything. Um, what, mm. what a student may see as their success is not what I see as their success. Their success was the effort to try to get there. That was the that was the success, if you will. Right, right. This is kind of an interesting um, thought, but as um, and I don't know how much attention uh, you pay to uh, just the theories that of just how rapidly education is going to be changing with technology and virtual classes and all this yeah. stuff. Um, the interesting thing I feel like is while it's very easy to, you know, just have an online test. I, I mean, I can read a book and take a test. Obviously, that could be automated by a computer. Um, but I almost feel like the things that we did in your class are going to be even more valuable because of how the education is changing. You know what I mean? Yes, yes I do. Well, we're, we're, we're all people. And, uh, People need people, as the as the bad song goes, uh, and and it's it's a very uh, affirming kind of way. It, it's uh, you can learn anything that you want on the internet, and that's a that's a wonderful thing. However, you, you it's also very helpful to have that personal contact, you know, being in the same room, uh, being together. Hmm. So the title of my podcast is The Pursuit of Purpose, which is basically, like I mentioned, right. more of a, a my personal struggle with uh, chasing things that I think are going to be cool or fun or make money. But at the end of the day, what I realize I really enjoy doing is just talking to yes. people. <laughs> so there's nothing... There's nothing business related to this podcast other than it's a fantastic excuse to steal an hour of people's time and get to talk to them. And they feel more willing to do it because it's being recorded and shared with people other than me. Yeah. So um, in that th that question, though, and that kind of pursuit, um, I almost feel like the pursuit of happiness always ends in uh, like dissatisfaction. Um, but purpose to me is something that I've all, I've been very drawn to. Um, what does that, and I don't know if that's, if that's a term that you would have used, but do you feel like you went through a period of pursuing purpose or trying to be more purposeful in your daily work? Um, I, I think, yes, I, over time, I kind of re-identified 
what my purpose was and how my purpose became more and more centered on, on people, um, as it were. Um, a, a friend of mine who who's, um, makes me think uh, tremendously um, talks about um, purpose that seems to be his life as his purpose is uh, working towards retirement that that's his focus that everything that much of what he does is just with that single uh, idea um, and for me, now that I'm retired, I understand that my sense of purpose really was each day showing up, being with young people full of uh, positive hopes and dreams and doing the best I could to, to encourage them or at least, and sometimes it was, it was like this, you know, like a Hippocratic oath, you know, first uh, do no harm. <laughs> Don't screw it up mm. too badly. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I think I became more clear how much more my sense of purpose, how more narrowly focused it was on uh, the individuals that were I was coming in contact with. And uh, yeah. I think, I think that's so are you saying that initially in your career, you were focused on retirement and then it was once you retired, you realized that you had been in your purpose? Uh, is that no, right? My, my friend was, is still focused on, on retirement and, and I never really, uh, really did, but I never, I, it, it took me time to clearly understand what my purpose was. I, my purpose really didn't change, I don't think, other than becoming more centrally focused. Um, it, it didn't really change. It just became more and more clear to me. And the whole notion of a, of a sense of purpose, uh, it was an interesting thought to me. And uh, when, when you asked me about that, uh, it makes me think that one of the things that I need to do now is find more of a sense of purpose um, to my life that maybe in retirement, it's, you know, it's good to be retired and not have to go to work, but what's that worth if you don't have, you know, a, a real sense of, okay, what do you intend to do now? And so mm. uh, it's, it's made me think about it a little bit, and I, and I don't have an answer. Um, the wife and I are, are raising our uh, eight-year-old grandson, and he's been with us since I retired, so it's getting close to, to five years now. And so there's a real sense of purpose there. Um, but, I, but I think I probably need more. And so, you know, in the, mm. in the, in the days and weeks that follow this i it's one of the things i'm going to do is is seek out new purposes as it were pursue new ideas mm. how's that right right what advice do you have for um both i guess you could look at it two ways it, the advice could be used by either but if you were to give advice to you know someone that just graduated with a teaching right. 
Um, or maybe we should open it up to not just teachers, but people that have just graduated yeah. college and are about to begin their careers. Right. And that maybe the, the second way to answer that would just be, what advice would you have given yourself at that time that maybe would have saved you a little bit of heartache or a struggle in the journey? Well, I, I mean, I would put it, put it very, very simply. And I discovered it was true for me, but I, I think I would encourage them to try to find something that they love to do, find their passion and, and do that. And if you can find your, your passion in your work, you know, that's wonderful. And if you don't find it in your work, find some other way so that you can scratch that itch, that passion. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about the guest speakers that would come into my class. Uh, part of what was so easy about getting these people to come in is they were uh, almost entirely frustrated teachers. <laughs> they weren't teachers. But they wanted to be. They wanted to, to have that experience of sharing. And so it was very uh, easy to get them to do that. Uh, the most common response I would get from these guest speakers after they were done is they would thank me for letting them do that. <laughs> when, you know, from my perspective, I was looking at it, well, you know, they're doing me a tremendous favor. They're, you know, missing a day of work they're doing this extra preparation and you know this is a catholic school so you know you're you're not coming in and making buku bucks for these <laughs> you, know, you want to do it and that's a that's a great great thing but of course you'd never tell them that you just say oh you know it's you know it takes a lot out of my day to have you come in and take over but I'll, I think I can make it happen again if you show up on time. I, I wish I could have done that. I, I might could have started that kind of a song and dance, but I, I could not have kept up the front. Uh, right, it's, right. It's such a mutually positive experience. That's awesome. Um, how in the world, this is for like, because I don't, I, I mentioned this, but I don't think people pr can like literally understand that you had someone bring an actual yes. cannon onto a yes. school campus and then fire pounds or, you know, I don't even know how much gunpowder yes. was inside it multiple yes. times. These massive yes. explosions that sounded like dynamite was going off Absolutely. or a bomb. And you would do this yes. annually. And usually it was like at Valley, there was like an announcement that would go on. It was like, Mr. McQueen will be firing the cannon today at 10 o'clock. Please do not be alarmed. But I, I remember vividly one year, there was like an article in the paper or like sirens yeah. went off. And there was a person at the apartment complex, which was like a mile right. away, that had called the police because they thought there was a bomb yep. on the high yep. school campus. Um but what, like, how, how did you, I guess in the beginning, maybe it wasn't, you like didn't even ask anybody and just showed up and did it, but how, was there like permits or anything you had to do to continue doing that? Or was there any funny experiences you remember with that well, in particular? Well, there were some funny experiences around that and I'll answer that second, but how it, it came to be uh, was the officer friendly for the uh, Beaverton Police Department, Dan Bartolin. Uh, was his name. He's passed away uh, now. 
uh, I used to have him come in. He was a Civil War reenactor, and he would do these these presentations. And with the Beaverton Police Department, he would often uh, end his presentation, take the students outside, and and fire his his musket off. Well, uh, because of my connection with him and he being a Civil War reenactor, I was able to continue to do that uh, when he was no longer doing the presentations. And uh, I, I guess you could say that it was a good thing. It was an attention-getting thing. And so we'll just build on it. You know, why just one musket? <laughs> why not have a dozen muskets at once. Uh, why not have a cannon going off? Uh, why not have uh, the World War II class? And it's where the uh, the police department came in um, with the, the fellow in the in the apartment, and it was just across the the, the uh, little creek there on what is it, the west end of, of campus, I guess. Um, we were uh, doing a World War One and or World War Two, and they had uh, uh, M1 Garands, and and the students were firing blanks out of those. I remember <laughs> the story. The guy was a Persian War uh, vet, Persian Gulf War uh, uh, vet, and he was in his apartment. And of course, the police department had been informed, but he hadn't been informed of you just a, mm. a citizen and so uh, out of the blue for him he heard what he knew was gunshot fire uh, a, a lot of it right there and he said well my training took over and i heard that and i hit the floor <laughs> it is it oh is no apartment and then he, he called the beaverton police department and uh, was uh you know soothed that it, that in fact uh, it was just uh, crazy Mr. McQueen uh, playing with guns over there. And so there was nothing to be alarmed about. Nothing to yeah. be alarmed. Yeah. <laughs> and then next year you had to send flyers out to all the people that live nearby. Or <laughs> did that, was there sig like significant challenges or was the police department pretty good with just like, eh, you know, a case here yeah. or there is fine. And you never they, ran into they much. They were always... Uh, pretty good about it. I mean, they were always good about it. They, they never told me no. Uh, they assured me that, uh, you know, that, that they would take care of whatever happened. Um, we did over time make more and more of a, a notice to the campus uh, when this was going to happen uh, so that people would be prepared and not surprised. But I, I do remember particularly in our building and firing the cannon is even when people knew it was going to happen, it still uh, really kind of got their attention. And, and right. in some ways, well, yeah. that's the thing. Well, I was going to oh, say go in some ways in some that ways. was uh, in, in a way, a point, a part of it, it is part of um, what people know, need to know about warfare, for example, is how noisy mm. it can be, how upsetting it can be from that that aspect. And, Absolutely, uh, there's nothing like experience in a safe environment to kind of bring that that point home to you. Mm. No, because I, I was going to say I I can imagine um, many school districts well, in the country, um, or even I don't know, are they still allowing this at Valley? Well, they, <laughs> 
they did uh, last year. I, I showed up with my musket and and I and I did that. Um, I, I haven't done it yet this year, um, and, and we'll see if it it happens. But it, it's it's a difficult thing, and I think because I've had a special relationship with the uh, police department, Beaverton Police Department, over the years, and people knew me that you know I was able to do things that other folks would not it's it's a difficult uh time for that sort of thing i think there's yeah well and that's that's the thing is that i feel like truthfully having experienced it i'm not a gun enthusiast i don't own a gun um unless there's a burglar listening then i own six <laughs> guns but um <laughs> i i've never been like i've never hunted um i i just have uh i remember being in the class and well, like you just said, like, unfortunately or fortunately, I, I totally agree that um, the experience of getting to be next right. to a cannon that is being fired, like within, you know, 30 feet of it is incredible. And that's like, talk, like you can read and you yes. can watch movies and all you want, but I, I just can't, that experience alone and thinking, can you imagine being on the battlefield next to like 10 of these and just, you know, fire, reload, fire, reload, like around the clock. Like, I just, I feel like that's something that is, uh, again, a way, a way to engage students that you probably would have never been able to engage, um, or to that level. Um, and I just think it does, you know, unfortunately teaches like the people that get upset about it. It's like, yeah, that's, this is not a fun, um, experience when, you know, when our country was at war or, you know, all that stuff. Yep. So anyways, I, I can appreciate the opposition to a certain degree, but I also just hope that stuff like that can continue, um, you know, for my kids or, or, or other kids, because I just think it's, it's such a valuable lesson. Yes. Do you read a lot? Um, or have you always read a lot? Um, I've gone through periods of time where I've read more or other periods where I've read less, but I've always been a reader, you know, since that uh, biography of Jackie Robinson uh, that I remember probably in fourth grade, I think it, it was that I, since then, uh, most of the time I've been an, an avid reader, a uh, lot of nonfiction, uh, but I've found uh, fiction books that I've really uh, enjoyed. Uh, some of it is, is, is not deep at all, but it's, it's, it's interesting. And uh, probably I read, I'd say about a book every two to three weeks now that I'm retired. Hmm. Um, a time when I didn't read as much as I wish I would have was actually when I was teaching is that sometimes it was hard to find the time to read because you're preparing for class, you're grading papers, you're, uh, in my case, in many people's case, you have a, a family that, uh, you need to devote time to. And so sometimes it was, it was difficult to steal time away just for, for reading. Uh, but I think if I had it all to do over again as a teacher, I would um, read more than I did. 
frankly. Hmm. I'm a horrible reader, um, like yep. with my eyes, but I tell people and my wife tells, says I can't say this when I tell people, like, I yep. just read a book. She's like, you have to clarify that you listened <laughs> to a book on audible because <laughs> I say that Absolutely. I read with my ears and I can read really, really <laughs> fast with my ears. Um, but I've, because of that, like I can consume books very like yeah. while I'm driving and whatnot. But yeah, I just have heard and for a long time, you know, I'd heard you should read it's good for you. But when you start, I feel like the challenge that I had in high school um, was that I was not reading books that I were right. was interested in and or that were like pertinent to my life right. at the time or whatnot. But I feel like if if you can find though right. that overlap um, of one of those two, it actually becomes very easy to read yes. for anybody um, because like you're curious, yes. you know, you want to know. Yes, absolutely. So as far as passion goes, you mentioned finding a, finding something that you're passionate about. What advice do you have for someone that's trying to figure out what they are passionate about or what they love or like, how, how do you, how do you figure that well, out? I, I, I I think the, the obvious answer is by trying things is, you know, taking a shot at things that you wouldn't normally uh, do. Uh, you know, it, it, it could be volunteering. It could be uh, taking trips. Uh, it could be uh, visiting various things. It could be uh, looking for uh, new ways to encounter people. Uh, it, it's really, I, I think, it has to be uh, a trial and error uh, kind of process. Um, sometimes we don't have as much choice with uh, what our profession is. I mean, sometimes we we wind up doing some things that we just have to do because we got to put uh, bread on the on the table, as it were. But it, it doesn't mean you you shouldn't have as a goal to pursue something that you do uh, feel strongly about, but, but you got to find it. You got to look. Hmm. What would some of the highlights of your career be? Um, I, I was reflecting about that and, and it, it seems to me the, the highlights I had were student directed things where students were taking the lead and, and, and being involved. Uh, I, I think about uh, one occasion I got real ambitious and I, I set up a, a mock UN uh, in the cafeteria at our school. And I, I threw, we had like 50 some seniors. The school was small at that time. And every senior was involved in it. And uh, we had set up different scenarios, really just picking them out of the, the air. And kind of a, a climax of it was uh, that we had, I had a, one of my juniors, so the class of seniors, come in and pretend to be Mother Teresa. And as Mother Teresa was giving this appeal for uh, helping uh, the poor of the world, uh, I had it set up so that uh, Mr. Johnson, the 
famous math teacher at uh, Valley Catholic, uh, kidnapped uh, Mother Teresa and took her out. And he was quite a sight. He had tried to disguise, and the best he could do was a uh, a wig that was uh, blonde pigtails. And so he he hauled <laughs> off. How my was her name? Uh, the Mother Teresa was just a a little uh, young lady, uh, probably didn't weigh a hundred pounds. And you know, Mr. Johnson is a um, a, a big guy, yeah, more, more than, than hundred pounds. pounds. <laughs> they just picked her up and 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 took her off uh, to the complete surprise of all the other students who thought they were having a a meeting about something else. And so then I I twisted mm. it to. Um, communication via tape between uh, the terrorist, Mother Teresa, and the members of the UN, and how were they going to solve this this problem? And that was that was modified, oh. and as you can tell from my retelling of the story, a very uh, memorable sort of uh, of, of thing. Um, there were other times in which. Uh, students would take the lead and with very interesting outcomes. And uh, I, towards the, the latter part of my career, probably uh, close to 30 years into it, I heard the phrase, you know, guide on the side rather than a sage on the stage. And I, I had mm. uh, not knowingly tried to be the guide uh, more than the sage as, as best I could and look for opportunities to do that. And, uh, as I went further along, as I said, the more I did that, uh, the better the outcome was. The, the, the specialty courses, when I said I kind of made them up, I kind of knew where we were mm. going to go, but I, I tried to make it the uh, student-directed and, and sharing uh, after they had done research at that was the way that we progressed forward uh, oftentimes. And so mm. I think it was, it was those kinds of moments that were uh, the most memorable to me, more that uh, I let that happen. So one of the, this just came to me, um, I'm assuming you had a number of principles that were yes. in, initially, and yeah, I guess just in general, you've went through a lot of different principles um, yes. at the beginning of your career. Did yes. you ever encounter, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, I guess for some of my friends that are now high school teachers, um, right. how much do you think the uh, permission or the ability to try things should just be given versus earned as you yeah. go on in your career? Does that make sense? Yes, it, it does. And, and you're talking about from a, a principal, somebody's in charge of, of teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I I think there does have to be a, a certain amount of earning that does take place, but the more a principal can allow those creative juices to flow from the teacher, uh, the more inspiring teaching they will be able to do, and the more they'll be able to make connections with the students. But it, it, it's hard to give up that kind of control. Uh, one of the things that I thought was great about Valley Catholic in hindsight uh, was its size. 
because not only were the students all well known, but the principals and the teachers knew each other. And that created a level of confidence that in larger institutions, and I'm thinking of, you know, you're talking a high school of 1,500 to 2,000 or, or more students, you know, it'd be very hard uh, for a principal or a, a vice principal of curricul curriculum to give over uh, control to people that they don't really know. Mm. And, and again, I'm thinking of the, of the teachers. So I, I always had that working on, on my side that uh, very early on I was able to, it seemed, uh, win the confidence of, of my principals, uh, the people over me, and they would just kind of let me do my thing. And I, I found that very rewarding, and I think it made me a better teacher. And hopefully it, it made my classrooms better as, as well. And that's one thing I think is interesting about that is that basically the ideal situation is just this cascading, uh, like of permission just being given to try and fail and screw up and learn yep. that yep. your principal gave to you. And then it sounds like the most enjoyable ones were when you gave that then a responsibility or permission to the students. Absolutely. Absolutely. You will ever pursue another career or um, you meant you want to do um, moving forward. What do you passionate? Well, well, I'm passionate, I guess, about the same sort of things. And one of the things this interview has done for me is make me think I'm going to have to step back and really consider what do I, I want to do? What more can I give that will be, um, what more can I give? And, and I know I have more and I, I really, I think I need to, to seek that out. Uh, just exactly what it will be. I, you know, I'm not quite sure, but um, I, I think I have a renewed sense of, I, I've got to uh, pursue that purpose as it were. Three book recommendations. <laughs> oh, geez. That, that's actually a pretty tough one. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, in, in, in preparing for this, I, I tried to come up with three. It might be easier to make up, come up with 30. Um, <laughs> what, one of the ones that I, I really enjoyed, and I just think you can't learn enough about Lincoln, is uh, Team of Rivals by uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, I think is a, a marvelous uh, read and so uplifting. Uh, all of the, the gifts that she describes that, that Lincoln had, it, it really uh, is a positive sort of thing and an uplifting sort of thing. Um, this, the second one I have to default to was just that biography I told you about, about Jackie Robinson. You know, probably any biography would do that I have read, but I, I just remember that uh, especially when I was in the fourth grade, I said, I read that. And that was in the sixties the, the is when I, I read that. And uh, the civil rights movement was, was just getting underway. And, you know, I was just, that made me uh, aware of all of those sets of issues, which, you know, I had a, uh, been oblivious to just, you know, live my, 
middle-class, white, suburban American life, and you're not really conscious of anything else that uh, went around. And, and, and the third one is actually a book that I used in the Civil War class. Uh, it was a memoir uh, called Company H, uh, C-O, uh, and then a space, A-T-C-H, which was kind of a, a colloquial way of saying Company H. And it was a memoir by uh, Sam Watkins, who was a Confederate Civil War soldier. And just his, his style has always spoken to me, the way he personalized events that were in the, in the history book. And it, it helped me to relate to, uh, as he put it in the books, not the, the big bugs of the world, but just the common folk. You know, the mm. web foot soldier, as it were, was, I think, his mm. great. So I think if I had, could only pick three, that would that would be the three that I would start with. Awesome. And then I ask everybody this favorite movie of all time. And this one's even harder because you can only pick one. Yeah. But my the reason I think limiting is fun is because just, you know, there's it's challenging, first of all. Right. But we all have busy lives. And so if right. you were to say, all right, you can only to, you know, so and so who's listening, you can only watch one movie for the rest of your life. And it would yep. be this movie that you would recommend. It would be The Sting. The Sting. Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Yeah, absolutely. I think it won the Academy Award the year it came out. But it was it was just a fun movie. And movies, you know, some of them should be fun. Absolutely. Um, I have to, I'm just looking at that really quick. Um, I've not, I have not heard of that. I'm surprised. Oh, really? Oh. Um, I'm going to have to add this to my list. I, I wish you would. Let me so know how this you is, like it. This is, uh, there's this website called IMDB. Okay. And um, I'm a huge fan of ratings. Okay. So they rate all these movies on a scale from one to 10 and it's just user submitted. Right. So they just average, you know, th hundreds of thousands of people that rate these movies. Right. And I, I joke around with my wife all the time that the minimum rating level that I will watch a movie at right. is a 7.3. So if it's below a 7.3, <laughs> I will give the person an opportunity to give a mulligan yeah, yeah. To say, no, no, trust me, you should watch this anyways. Yeah. But good news for you and everybody watching. You have very, very good taste. This is an 8.3 out of 10, which is like, that's that's hard to come by. So now I'm very interested. There's been 212,000 people that have rated it. So I think that's a pretty solid, solid choice. Um, all right. And then this is just for... Um, for your sake and in the sake of anyone else listening that wants to get in touch with you, yep. what do you, what's your preferred method of contact um, right. for someone that's listening to this and is inspired or wants to ask you another question or have you come or you know, who knows what could come of this, but sure. how would you recommend that people get in touch with you? Well, probably I, I would be open to uh, just an email would be, would be fine. Uh, my email address is, uh, P. McQueen at Vic, Victor Indian Charlie, D I C, link, L I N K, 
com. Awesome. So P McQueen at V I C link.com. Yep. Okay. And then the other thing for the sake of spamming, I never put the email address on in text. Okay. So whoever's listening to this is going to have to uh, listen closely okay. and trans <laughs> translate it to uh, their email. But anyways, okay. all right. To wrap this up, this is the last one. Okay. 10 rapid fire questions. These are completely for fun. I made all of them up. Okay. Uh, you can give one word answers if you want. You don't have to justify your answer. Okay. Um, just kind of go with what you feel is right at the time. Okay. Union or Confederate? <sighs> I, I guess Union. Uh, musket or cannon? Musket. What is the biggest misconception that people have about the Civil War? That the North was overwhelmingly in favor of ending slavery. And as a Civil War soldier, what is your favorite food item? Ooh, uh, chicken and dumplings. How many times have you died in battle <laughs> in your reenactments? <laughs> well, uh... Probably around 100 times, maybe 150 times. So that's one of the benefits of being a Civil War reenactor. You have even more lives than cats do, I guess, absolutely, right? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You, you can be reborn real quickly. Um, and who is the coolest character you've ever played in a battle? Coolest character? Uh, that I, I can remember one time that I was portraying a father looking for his son uh, who he knew had uh, joined the Confederate Army. And so I had, according to the story, joined the Confederate Army and was was looking for him. And since my son also did Civil War reenacting, we were able to actually play that out a bit and have some fun with it. What is the most interesting fact that has stuck with you and it could be pertaining to the Civil War or just in general. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard one because I was, uh, I, I was kind of a master of having lots and lots of trivia. But the, the very first thing that, that comes to mind was uh, James Garfield, uh, president after Lincoln, a couple down the road, um, died uh, because not from the gunshot he suffered, but from the carelessness or medical attention of his day uh, had lots of doctors working on him and it worked to his advantage because they didn't wash their hands as they were playing with his wounds. Oh, wow. What was the most challenging part of being a teacher? That's hard to say because in my rose colored glasses, as I'm looking back, it, it's hard to think of anything that was uh, challenging i suppose retiring turns out to be the most challenging thing you know, <laughs> you know once you have the uh, if you will love affair with teaching it's breaking up is hard to do and uh, that's certainly mm. certainly true and then what has been the most rewarding part of being a teacher students like yourself contacting me down the road and you know just saying hello it, it makes me think that you know, I did a, a, a few things right that, uh, you know, people look back on the time period and at least aren't angry with me about something. So that's 
That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm still pissed about that test. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only reason I'm doing this podcast is because I want you to go back and change my grade from when I was a senior <laughs> taking your... No, I'm just kidding. I've actually gotten turned down from multiple jobs because they asked me what my uh, GPA was in um, history in high school. Yeah. So really just has, you know, just haunted me all these years. Um, well, that is a good way to, uh, to wrap it up. Thank you, uh, so much for coming on Mr. McQueen. Um, greatly appreciate, uh, all that you've done in for teaching in general, but for me and the, the fond memories that I have, but it was also fun to kind of reminisce and, uh, and chat with you. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mr. Kiefer. I appreciate that. <laughs> talk to you again. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Again, like I said, reach out to a teacher that you've had, whether it was in elementary school or high school or college, just give them a little shout out, whether it's on social media or um, sending them a text, an email, whatever. Um, it's just really, really enjoyable and rewarding um, for yourself, but also for teachers to just know that you 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 know admired and appreciated what they did for you and again you can uh, participate in upcoming episodes on instagram i'll put the handle in the show notes so you can go ahead and find that there thank you all for your attention and i look forward to sharing future episodes with you you're listening to the pursuit of purpose podcast wisdom stories and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people